Hello, and welcome to Start By Listening, the podcast about sexual harm. We are centered on educating and empowering our Western Kentucky communities. Our goal is to transform the way we talk about sexual harm. Transformation begins by listening to understand. We talk so you can listen today and change the world tomorrow. Well, I am so excited to be here on this very cold, wintry, icy day in Owensboro, Kentucky. Um, Right now we're in the middle of an ice storm, a winter storm that is stretching from Mexico all the way to Canada. And so um, coming to you live from my home office, as always, you might hear a dog barking, you might hear a phone ringing, Um, apologies, we try to do that away with that as much as we can, but this is called real life, this is called being a therapist in 2022. Um, And today I am so excited, I have two of my favorite co-workers with me. I've got Marcy and I've got Crystal, Um, and we got some good stuff to be talking about today. Uh, First thing I want to do is I want to let Marcy and Crystal just introduce themselves, just give y'all listeners out there in India, in Texas, in Idaho, wherever you might be, just a little bit of information about who they are. You already know me and my thing. So yeah, so Crystal, Marcy, who wants to introduce themselves first? Oh, I'll go first. Um, I'm Crystal and I've been a therapist at New Beginnings for three years, past three years before that, uh, worked at New Beginnings in a lot of different positions about 10 years ago for 10 years. Um, um, happy to be here. Welcome. Um, I'm Marcy. I'm a therapist at New Beginnings. Um, I've been with New Beginnings for, can you believe this, Jennifer, two years now. Actually, a little oh. over two years. Has it so, already been two that's crazy. years? Yeah. yeah, it's been the best two years. So prior to that, um, I've worked in um, community mental health, working a lot with children. Um, I've also done a lot of work with substance abuse and um, offenders. So excited to be here today. Wow. And let's see, Crystal... How long have you been a social worker? Since 2000, LCSW since 2002. So So that's 20 years, right? I've got 20 years of experience. Marcy, how long have you been in the mental health field and had your uh, master's degree in counseling? Eight years. Wow. So we've got between the three of us, we've got 48, I'm going to just write it out, say 50 years of experience. Holy cow. You know what that means? That means we know some shit. (laughs) (laughs) That means we can help each other when we get stuck and confused and Oh, that's what I call it. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, first off, I just want to acknowledge um to everybody that's tuning in first of all you both are so brave to come on this particular podcast with me today and let me explain why uh number one because the three of us have been in the trenches for the past I'm going to say six months in developing an understanding about what we're going to talk about today and I can safely say that I am such a novice about this topic and you know when I zigged and zagged and changed February's topic um, I thought gosh this is kind of really important because of so many reasons because we are all constantly living in chronic stress right now with this pandemic we are constantly dealing with dysregulated nervous systems our own our clients the communities and that's why I decided that the topic for the month of February is going to be disassociation. And for this podcast, all we're going to do is just talk about what it is, like what we've learned, what we think, what we've seen, what we've experienced professionally. And then the second podcast, which will be at the end of the month, that's going to be where we kind of put our clinical hats on, you know, and we talk about what are things people can do if they 
do uh, struggle with disassociation or they think they might have a dissociative disorder. So that's for the second half. But I am so glad that you guys were so brave to join me on this because when I thought about doing this by myself, I was like really overwhelmed. Like my nervous system, which is home away from home is sympathetic. It dipped into that dorsal place of like, oh my gosh, I just don't have the capacity to do it alone. So I reached out to the amazing clinical team and I'm so glad that you guys are joining me today. That makes me and my nervous system feel safe and connected. <laughs> mm. It's a big topic. <laughs> it well, is. And, and one that's only really not been studied, not been discussed all the lot. Well, and I think also I the reason I was willing to do this is because we've kind of been embarking on this together and, you know, just, it's kind of just the shared experience. And if we can reach out to anyone else that could benefit from this, because Crystal's right, there's not a lot of anything out there on this. Um, So, and I think also to take some of the, maybe a few of the myths or, stigmas that go along with this away mm. too. Well, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. It's a heavy topic. And um, you know, the three of us really have just been like bamboozled and been just thinking professionally, we were told not a big thing, like especially when it comes to disordered dissociation very rare. And then uh, something just clicked. And in the last six months, maybe eight months, you know, I think collectively we have noticed an uptick in disassociation in clients. And I'm wondering if other therapists are thinking and experiencing this as well. Um, I attended a meeting slash training um, with some fellow um, clinicians that more out of the state of um, Illinois, a lot around the Chicago area. And they discussed some of the disassociation. And one thing they said was that with the pandemic in this chronic state of stress, that there has been, and they use the word insane, insane increase in disassociation. Because I think at least this is my thoughts. My thoughts is disassociation is a coping skill. Mm-hmm. So when you look at that, that makes perfect sense. Like we're all out here trying to figure out how to cope with things we don't know how to cope with. And, you know, the disassociation allows us to cope a little bit better. And to me, it makes perfect sense when you look at these complex traumas, why that works. Yeah. Well, how can we help our listeners understand what disassociation is? I mean, we all do it. It's just we don't realize we do it and we don't know what it's called. Yeah. Can you give some examples? Um, one good example is driving somewhere and kind of getting in your thoughts and not paying really attention, just on autopilot and you arrive at your destination and you really couldn't remember even passing the things you normally pass or how you got there. Um, I know that's one that I've experienced myself. Oh yeah. Me too. And you're absolutely right. Like, so I bring it into kind of personal. So I've had a previous job before that was an incredibly amount of stress. And a lot of times I did not remember driving home And you know, and I, at that point in my life, I chalked that up to, I was just really in my thoughts, you know, about it, but you know, looking back now, I was, it, it was traumatic 
events that were happening. And that's how my brain was responding was I was disassociating. Yeah. Um, even with natural disasters, like the tornado we just had around recently, um, I've talked to people who were in the tornado and I was like, Ooh, what did it sound like? And the person said, I don't remember. She had no idea. Uh, and her, her sibling and mother said it sounded like freight train, like most people do. And she said, I don't remember hearing anything. So, yeah. yeah. That really speaks to, you know, what we are learning in, through Dr. Stephen Porges's The Polyvagal Theory. You know, the oldest part of our nervous system, the ancient part, when our nervous system, our body experiences a threat that is so overwhelming, the only way to survive is to collapse slash shut down. And that's like what disassociation is onto the extreme unhealthy side, you know, and I'm going to say unhealthy because Um, It is a coping skill and we all know there are healthy coping skills and there are unhealthy coping skills. Um, It's an emergency coping mm -hmm. skill. There are times you need it and there are times it's not healthy. It's a very rare used coping skill. That's a really uh, great way of stating that and um, experiencing that um, because it's uh, survival. Oh, yeah, it's it's yeah. survival. Yeah. I've mm-hmm. been told of people who are scared of blood, but are able to help in emergency situations because they're able to, you have to, you've got to help people if there's nobody else around. So um, it is a superpower in a way, but it's also something that can get in the way of your daily light living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that dysregulated aspect of the nervous system, you know, because there is also the regulated aspect of the nervous system where we have regulated sympathetic energy, right? The ability to move and to get up. And if, you know, you want to go exercise, right? That is, that's not a dysregulated of fight, flight, freeze. That's a regulated sympathetic. And then there's the regulated part of dorsal, which is rest, and repair, right? Where we can just relax. That's, that's very much a regulated part as well. Um, Trying to think of how I want to say this. (laughs) I just snorted (laughs) y'all. I think in the last six months of learning everything that I have because of the three of us kind of being thrown into the deep end in this collaboration. Um, There were so many, there were so many things that I have learned, so many things I still need to learn. And it has really caused me to really rethink um, and reevaluate how we screen for and ask clients about disassociation. Mm-hmm. Because in the past, I might just say, you know, like this is like you, it said, Crystal, disassociation, we all do it. And it's in a car, you know, blah, blah, you get there. But when it interferes with living your life, then that's when it's a problem. And that was the only way I really described it. Yeah. But I think that what we're missing when we look at it that way and describe it that way is I don't think that the client understands that it's not helping or that their life is disrupted by it. I'm failing for words right now Um, that that there's anything really wrong, because I think as a society and this is what I meant by stigma. As a society, we have always said, you know, there we don't want to talk about basically the old school term, multiple personality disorder, you know, mm-hmm. when you're looking at DID. And, you know, you know, there's always been these jokes about it or, you know, there was movies about it. And I think it became so ingrained in society 
Like that's like bad. You don't want to be like that. Mm-hmm. And so. Or fake. Yes. Or fake. Yeah. Exactly. Um, the, I think that we've just kind of turned it off to that even being something, you know, that dissociation can be a normal response. And I think that we've closed that that door. And so I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to open this door to the possibility. And, you know, you had mentioned about the brain and the ancient thing. I mean, that's what our brain does. Ultimately, our brain wants to keep us safe. That's its function. And if you are in a super traumatic event, that might be the only way your brain decides to keep you safe. Yeah, and if you're not aware of it, you're not going to even realize there's an issue. Exactly. Yeah, well, not only not being aware of it, but from a clinical point perspective, I didn't really have a lot of education or knowledge. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't know what to ask. I'm still learning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, I didn't know what to look for. Well, and I know my, I'm the professional counseling world where y'all are the social work world, but I know in my world, and I'm pretty sure it's the same in y'all's, we were all taught, this is so rare, it's only like 2% of the population. So you're never going to see this. So it was like, we weren't taught this. We weren't taught to look for this or ask for this because it's like, oh, that's, kind of like what you were saying crystal that's just this kind of super rare thing if people come in with it they're making it up yeah yeah and we've only really explained it as um related to the actual event most of the time Mm -hmm. and how people do dissociate during the event and um we really didn't go beyond that as far as like disassociating your real life, losing time, um, all the other things we've learned recently about dissociation. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like its own rabbit hole, you know, for like exploration. And then I think what makes this so complex of a topic is that It is unique to each individual. It's Mm -hmm. not like, and I'm not saying this is a disease, but this is the way my brain is operating. I've got my nurse hat on, like diabetes. Diabetes is pretty black and white as far as what are the symptoms? What, Mm -hmm. What do you look for? What is that objective data? Now, how it responds in a person's body is subjective, but overall, most people who have diabetes can experience this, this, and this. It's like, I understand. Got it. You know, like you when I was, have it or you don't. Yes. When I was a nurse, it was like, what is your A1C? What is your fasting blood glucose level? You know, et cetera, et cetera. But even with understanding like the different types of disassociation, what it might feel like, what it might be an experience of, that might not be my experience based on whatever yeah. trauma that I have experienced. Yeah. You know, and yeah, that's just like, so then it's like, holy shnikes. It's very much a spectrum and not just a spectrum about dissociation, but like a spectrum of, of DID, a pers- spectrum of, um, amnesia all these things that come that are dissociation it's all a spectrum um i love that word spectrum because well just think about this so you know you 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 all know i don't like the dsm at all and i think it's a crock of shit and i think it's a way of cptsd is the reason right now biggest reason in my opinion But just the simple wording of something and how it lands in the nervous system, Mm -hmm. like disassociation disorders, disorders makes me think 
hmm, something's wrong versus spectrum of disassociation. Wow. My nervous system goes, oh, yeah. And it also sounds like it could be curable or it could be treatable or manageable. Um, and it could be in your control a little bit more if you know more about it. Yeah. Yeah. My nervous system likes all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really does. And again, I, I just think about how to create that safe space to be able to talk about with clients what that is. And I think that in order for me to be in a ventral space, right, of that calm energy, the anchor, my way of creating that for myself to create that space is to learn as much as I can so that I can provide information on different wavelengths, different levels, different ideology, so that then it's not just that one thing, which is what I used to do. Yeah. Because, you know, as we've learned with some of our training, if a person is experiencing um, disassociation to the level of um, different states, different slices of personality, mm-hmm. then creating that safety will allow those aspects to feel safe mm-hmm. to yeah. kind of, you know, like peek around the door and like, oh, okay. And how yeah. cool is it to be able to talk to another human being and for them to be able to say, oh my God, I feel hurt. You know, yeah. where never, because I think that what we're trying to do is we're opening the door to these possibilities. And when, you know, a client is able to say, no one has ever made me feel like I could talk about this. You know, just that alone is huge. Yeah. I mean, because if you, if you already feel like you're different because your brain's doing something that you feel like it shouldn't be, or that you feel like it's not normal, then you don't want to talk about it. But then when they are able to come in and you provide that safety for them, and then they can say, Hey, I feel hurt for the first time. Or yeah, this is, I'm, this is what's going on. I mean, I think that's, to me, that's like the biggest thing right now that we can do is just encourage and provide that safety for all of this. Yeah. And break down the stigma and the stereotypes we have in our own minds. Um, Because this is something that, like Jennifer said, it's very individual. It's very um, abstract in ways. And there's things that I've had people tell me recently that I would have never imagined would be a technique to be able to with with um, be able to handle a situation mm-hmm. um, and the ability to be able to be in and out of the present and in the past at the same time and the visuals that go along with that it's just it's mind-blowing and it's kind of amazing also um but also debilitating and mm-hmm. hard to deal with. Yeah. Um, but these are things that are, I think, hard for humans, even in this field, to believe and understand because maybe they haven't experienced it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, just listening and being having some uncon- unconditional positive regard about it, not showing your hand as far as maybe this client's making me a little nervous because they've got dissociation and I'm worried about that or being honest with them and saying, this is a journey that we're going to learn together. Mm-hmm. Um, and just leaving it open to being able to be honest about it and what actually goes on in your head, because sometimes that's embarrassing to let people know. Well, yeah, because if we look at 
And I mean, we are all of the same generation. We're Gen X, you know. And if we look at what, I mean, just uh, my nervous system, you know, what dissociative identity disorder used to be called as multiple personality disorder. Mm-hmm. And back in the what, 70s or 80s, the movie Sybil mm-hmm. came out. And I mean, that was all I knew of what that was. And then boom, the DSM changed the wording and made it more, um, or excuse me, less stigmatizing. And I'm mm-hmm. saying that very sarcastically. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. By calling it dissociative identity disorder. Um, and then, uh, Chris, I know you and I, I don't think Marcy has seen it yet, but we happened upon Doom Patrol mm-hmm. on HBO Max. And for those out there who have not watched Doom Patrol and they have a keen interest in learning more about disassociation, that is just an amazing show that it and especially on season two, focuses solely on Jane, who mm-hmm. is an individual who's a superhero for the Doom Patrol. And she has many altars. And how those altars came to be, you get a little bit of information. And each altar has its own superpower of protection that can be called upon at any time. Um, And in that particular instance, the way it's been portrayed on the show of Doom Patrol is that the the different aspects of personality all know each other. Now, they don't all like each other, (laughs) but they all know each other and they are aware of each other and they know the gifts and talents that each has and when that is needed. Um. Could you imagine if something like that would have shown up in the late 70s, early 80s versus something like Sybil? Yeah. As, yeah. A, as entertainment, obviously, but still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a horror series currently, um, Split. Have any of y'all seen that? Hmm. It, it started out with Unbreakable, which is a movie with... Um, Bruce Willis and it expanded into a movie called Split and it's about a serial killer who is the ID and so it's not really less stereotyping it's it's more like I'm an insane person this is why I do this I have the actor's excellent but the portrayal of um DID is not necessarily the best so we're still putting out um media that makes this disorder look violent, scary, psycho. Yeah. (laughs) I think, you know, anything coming out of our generation, that time period of movies, any mental health was bad. I mean, you didn't talk about it. You didn't get help. You just sat miserable and kept, kept plugging through (laughs) yeah (laughs) mental health what's that i do think that we as the of this generation i do believe we've made it better for those after us so (laughs) some of us yeah Yeah. (laughs) and you know i think what i'm also going to do um when this podcast airs i'm going to have in the show details some links if people have curiosity about learning more or, oh my gosh, could I possibly have some disassociation? Could I be doing, I'm going to have some links yes. to put in so people can, you know, obviously go about their, their own rabbit holes, you know? Right. Right. Well, and I'm going to ask you guys this because I have not gone down this rabbit hole, but um, I saw an article and I didn't read it. So this is just a headline. No, we're not supposed to just give headlines, but it was talking about that a lot of teens right now on TikTok are diagnosing themselves with DID and um, they are talking about their experiences with disassociation on TikTok. Have you guys gone down that rabbit hole at all? 
I have just a tiny bit, but I, I didn't want to go too far because I didn't want to mess with my own stereotypes and stigmas because I can't look at these this children and on the video and if they they say their self has not been a doctor and I can't tell if they have it or not I it's just it's just a thing I don't even know how to you know to be honest yeah. yeah no I have not experienced that I'm not on that algorithm um I have encountered and I don't remember the name um but there's a couple on Facebook um and where um, the husband has been diagnosed as having dissociative identity disorder. And they like to film like different aspects of, mm. they call them the altars. That's what they call them. Mm-hmm. Um, and how those altars show up and what they provide for the family. Like as far as um, who is the altar that goes and picks up the kids from school <laughs> versus who is the altar that does chores. And it's very interesting. And, and it's also the perspective from his wife because she says, I didn't even know that this was a thing. When I met my husband, I fell in love with my husband. I didn't know that he had altars. Um, wow. And it was only in the last couple of years. And I think they've been married maybe like, I'm going to say seven to 10, that it became apparent that boy, there's something different here. What, 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 you know, and that's what led them down their journey. Um, And I will say that this is very much a couple that is definitely involved in mental health as far as treatment and therapy and all those things, you know. Um, But now that's been interesting to see some of their videos. Mm -hmm. You have to send me that. I'd like to. I will. Most of the stuff I find are females um, Mm -hmm. with DID. I've not seen except for the horror movie i've not seen um a male person or that identifies as male as did yeah so i'm sure now that i've spoken that to an existence it'll pop up on my tiktok feed again um and so i'll send that to you crystal so yeah you know but it, it really is and um you know i remember let's see how many years ago I'm going to say 10 years ago, I had the experience of being in um, the same space with an individual who I'd known for several years, um, and they began to speak in a completely different voice, like an accent that was not from the United States of America. And I was like, Nobody can see me because we didn't run out on YouTube, but I'm kind of my eyes are going like left to right, like, I don't know what to do with this. That was the way I was like, what do I do? And the only thing I knew to do at the time was to call 911 because I intuitively knew there was something wrong in this mm-hmm. moment for this person. I didn't know what. Yeah. Um, and they still knew me, called me by my name. So I thought, okay, but I I didn't. And it wasn't until recently when we started, the three of us collabing, I was like, oh my gosh. You know, um, it was really interesting, you know, because some people would say, oh my gosh, that person was psychotic. Mm, No. (laughs) Their, Their nervous system, what I now know today, as in 2022, their nervous system was responding to some threat that it it um, interpreted in the environment, and it was too overwhelming, yeah. and that was its way of surviving. Mm-hmm. And I say that's its way, the body's way of surviving, whatever that threat is. And I think sometimes that can be hard for people to understand what is a threat and what is not a threat because... Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um, I pretty much, I spring into action when there's a crisis, that's a medical thing. Like I'm like, boom, boom, boom. My brain is, it's like, okay, I got to get this. This is right. That's because of my education years of training. 
Versus if Crystal and Marcy were in the hallway with me and they experienced the same event, I mean, one of y'all might faint, right? One of y'all might be, oh, Jesus, Lord, no, can't do this. I'll go call 911, right? Mm-hmm. And so what our nervous system interprets as a threat is so different. And I like to explain that to clients is that our nervous system, it cannot really see like it, we have eyes, but our nervous system doesn't. All it takes in is what our eyes take in and it gets neurochemicals. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people <clears throat> don't have the understanding that technology as in cell phones are considered a threat to our nervous system. The same thing as if 500,000 years ago, we were being chased by a saber-toothed tiger. And it's it's so hard, I think, to have the understanding of what our nervous system considers safe and unsafe, because then what happens is, and you all know this from experience, our clients just collapse into that shame spiral I should have done blah, 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 right? Yeah. Yeah. And so when we come from that nervous system perspective of you don't get a choice, your nervous system is going to interpret something as unsafe and you're going to go down that ladder. And let's say that you're already at the end of sympathetic because you just have a stressful stuff going on. It, it's not going to take much to send you down the ladder further into dorsal and to right. shut down. And so I think sometimes that stigma where people, I'm going to say it, people can be judgmental assholes. <laughs> yeah. Well, why would that be unsafe for you? That doesn't bother me. Yeah. The system is different. Yeah. You know, and as you're talking in, and I'm thinking about this, you know, my, my brain is like going, wow, you know, how cool is it that my brain and my nervous system are built to keep me safe? And even if, you know, and I know that it can all be taken to unhealthy levels, but also it's kind of an all thing that I mean, our brain's pretty magnificent because yeah. when there are these really traumatic events and stuff, it does what it needs to do to keep you going. Yeah. And I just wish other people knew more about the nervous system and about the brain because that's also something that most people do not understand. And they don't understand that sometimes you don't have control over yourself. Um, children don't have control over themselves and you're right. It's taken as a personal offense or it's taken as, um, just, just do it or don't do it. Or, you know, it's not seen as something that's out of control. It's seen as you're doing this on purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think I want to zig a little and zag and kind of just give some of our listeners, some ideas of things that one might experience if they are having moments of disassociation. So like example, um, when you can't account for time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, there. Yeah. When people recognize you and you don't recognize them, and that happens more often than the average person. Um, yeah. That's a good one. Um, not being able to remember things that happened. Mm-hmm. Not remembering things that you bought or mm-hmm. yeah. that, you know, you've gone and you don't remember purchasing this stuff. I've had someone mention um, feeling like there's someone else in your body or not feeling like you don't have control over your body. 
Mm-hmm. Um, feeling like you're on autopilot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think and dissociate with dissociation. I think that flashbacks can be pretty extreme because the memory is stuck there. Mm-hmm. And um, you can feel like you're in two realities at once. And these are more extreme, but. Yeah. You know, I can only imagine how unsettling that might be. Yeah. Like my brain just went here as you said that. And I thought about the show Outlander. Mm-hmm. How the main heroine, and I've only seen one season. So let me start there. But how she's in the like what 1940s, 1930s. Oh, is that Prince? The mailman's on the porch and I'm trying to be myself, but I guess I can control that on my end. I don't know how to mean his nervous system's going nuts because of the mailman. Hey, 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 hey. Prince. I'm I am so thankful for this moment. Because everybody a text except for him about being quiet. So. The um, a few podcasts ago, I was on one with Jennifer, and my dog lost it and wouldn't stop. So, so this makes my nervous system very so happy. Way for me to know that. <laughs> Listen, it is what it is. Like I mean, he's a great Dane, so he sounds really scary. But I think he's just had trauma with the mailman. So probably. probably. <laughs> Um, so that was the rupture. Now we're going to repair with her nervous system. And Marsha's like, oh, my nervous system felt so good to know it wasn't just me. Yeah. And Kiwi has barked and Abby has barked on my podcast. It's all good. Um, but experiencing two realities, Crystal, like you said, past and present. And, and by no means, you know, I was saying this show is about disassociation, but boy, what a good way for me to concretely kind of have an understanding Mm-hmm. of what that might be for, you know, because she was in her reality of the thirties or forties and then transported yeah. back in time to Scotland. Yeah. Being taken over by the, the British, right. The, the, all that unrest knowing this is not the reality that I have yeah. experienced. I'm just, that just popped into my head as a creative way. Maybe do y'all agree or disagree? Yeah. I think anything's possible when it comes to your brain and the things that it can imagine or do to protect you. Yeah. Again, this is, I'm in a very ventral space. And so when I'm in ventral, as all of us, we can be creative. Why help me understand? (laughs) Oh my God. And if the CIA is listening, don't come at me, but (laughs) spies Mm -hmm. what i'm thinking about what it takes to be a spy yeah or undercover cop undercover people holy shit like you have to actively Mm -hmm. disassociate right to do certain things well you look at actors in roles they've had like mm-hmm. Heath Ledger with playing the Joker and how that really screwed him up in a lot of ways um so yeah. I mean I, I and I've heard other actors talk about you know this role really took a toll on me you know most how- recently Lady Gaga in the House of Gucci she had to get mental health help um because she was playing that character so hardcore or being that character it's crazy mm-hmm. that is really like when I look at my research that I did for this podcast that really is that oh this is interesting disassociative is it fugue I don't know what that would land under yeah wag fugue so listen to this So that's when you travel to a new location and you take on a new identity for a short time. Yeah. Now, part of the caveat of of this disassociation is without remembering who you really are. However, I'm going to say, and I'm going to lean into this 
space of creativity Mm -hmm. when we have to take on a certain role in our lives do we not sometimes I don't want to say forget, but sometimes place to the side mm-hmm. who we know who we to we are to be because of this role. Like, let's bring it to the pandemic. Um, never in our nation's history have healthcare providers been in so much despair yeah. for not being able to save people because it's not normal for this many people to be dying at once. That is not a normal healthcare thing. So would that not also lend itself to some disassociation to survive that moment, those moments, those days, those hours, that understanding of I cannot save people. Yeah. I don't know about y'all, but my nervous system just dipped a little as I'm thinking this through. Yeah, it's um, it's more common than we think. <laughs> and I think that's why, you know, in the training, they said an insane increase. Because, you know, just thinking about healthcare workers alone, um, I saw something the other day that said, you know, the PTSD that healthcare workers is on brain scans looks like that of combat veterans. So their brains have got to be responding some way to try to keep them safe. And yet they're going back day after day and reliving it day after day and losing more people like working through sicknesses work working through covid having it actually having it yeah you have it and oh well you don't seem sick enough come work um it's just I, i i truly do believe that i think that in another two to three years this is going to be a much common, more common topic uh-huh. and other clinicians are going to join on board and be like, yep, this is really what we're seeing. Yeah. Well, and just in the space of this hour of spending time with you all, like I said, my brain just went to different places that I had not even considered till I'm sitting here and engaged in conversation with y'all. And by no means am I diagnosing or stating this is fact, please. CIA, hear me. Uh, But it's just, wow, what a possibility. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, y'all, I am so thankful to have you as my collaborators and my coworkers. And so grateful for giving of your time today. Um, And so we are coming to the end of today's episode. And um, just... Thank you. Thank you for being in a fellowship and community with me. And I just want to give you all the opportunity. Is there any final thoughts uh, that you want to say as we're signing off? Well, one thing that I keep reminding myself is therapy is not an old profession. And the, the stereotypes and the stigma are from people who did not have knowledge and did not understand or want to understand um, these things that we're learning now. Mm-hmm. And um, hopefully this information will be disseminated more freely. People will learn about this. It'll become some kind of health PSA at some point. And this will spread farther. Mental health will continue to grow and find ways to help people with the less amount of tra- trauma possible. But thank you for letting me come. I think that we're all on this journey and all of our journeys have been um, greatly impacted in the last two years. And as that has happened and we learn 
more and we grow and we continue on, I think we have such an opportunity to reach others and help others. And so I'm just thankful to be a part of this collaboration and other discussions that's open to this stuff and not like what Crystal said, just, no, that's not the way it's been done. That's not true. We're not going to explore it. Yeah. Um, I am, I am thankful in, in awe of, of those that know more than me and excited to learn more as Mm -hmm. years come. Absolutely. I say ditto to both of y'all. Uh-huh. And, I think uh, ditto to Marcy too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as always to our listeners out there who tune in to start by listening. Uh, well, it's a wild, wild world out there. Y'all stay frosty until next yeah. time. <laughs> well, we made it to the end of our episode. We want to thank you for listening. We also want to thank VOCA for funding our podcast. VOCA stands for Victims of Crime Act. This project was supported by grant number VOCA 2020 Green River 00026, awarded through the Kentucky Justice and Public Safety Cabinet by the United States Department of Justice. The opinions, findings, conclusions, and recommendations expressed in this publication, program, exhibition are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Kentucky Justice and Public Safety Cabinet or the U.S. Department of Justice. We also want to give a big shout out and a thank you to Seth Hedges of Uriah Wild Media. He is the amazing individual who created the beautiful music for our podcast. We thank you so much, Seth. I'm going to encourage you to go check out his stuff. He's pretty talented and awesome. You can find him at www.uriahwild.com. That's www.uriahwild.com. And finally, we want to give a really special shout out to Rodney Newton for being our amazing technical advisor. He has spent several Saturdays and days throughout the week to help us get this podcast up and going. Rodney, you are our captain. And finally, we hope that you'll take something you heard today and change the world tomorrow. Join us next time on Start By Listening. And as always, please remember that New Beginnings is here for you to listen or help 24 hours a day. Just give us a call, 1-800-226-7273.